Welcome to the NCA podcast. We're very, very happy today to have, have our, as our guest, Carrie Robinson. And we are very happy that you have joined us to listen and learn more about imagining abundance. So Carrie, thank you for joining us. It is such a pleasure to be with you. I long have admired your work, Kathy, and it's a great privilege to be on your show. Well, thank you. We really appreciate you joining us. And and that's a compliment and I will take it. Thank you very much for that. So, um, Carrie, when I read the book and I read it, I don't think I read it right when it came out, but I read it several years ago. I was in Boston at that time when I did read it. And I remember thinking, this is so nice because it, it talks about development stewardship as a story and not just as we're raising money. <laughs> So tell me how this came about. I mean, your, your book explains a little bit your history and your story, but for our listeners, how did this come about, this idea that we have so much we can give? Well, first, it was, it was remarkable that I was invited to write this book. I have always wanted to be a writer, and year after year after year, I yearned to do that. And I finally realized I'm not a writer if I'm not pri- prioritizing it and focusing on it. And I had been uh, working at St. Thomas More, the Catholic Chapel and Center at Yale for 10 years with its beloved Catholic chaplain, Father Bob Boulogne. And together we raised about $75 million to expand Catholic life on Yale's campus. And the process of it taught us both an awful lot. I began with all of these misunderstandings and biases about fundraising. Um, And in the course of being charged and responsible with, with having to raise money, I was disabused of all of those notions that I started the effort with and vowed that I would try to disabuse others if they shared these same misperceptions. So I began to give a lot of talks to priests, women religious, men religious, and lay leaders who were running important Catholic schools or Catholic school systems or Catholic nonprofits or parishes or dioceses. And I could tell from their body posture that they loathed the idea of having to raise money. They loved their ministry and their mission and their leadership. They knew that fundraising and being responsible for the financial health was an important component of their leadership, but they dreaded it. And so I began giving talks to them that were kind of like pep talks, but sharing the wisdom that Father Bob and I had um, learned the hard way through experience, trial and error. And at one of these talks, my, my presentation was recorded and it was transcribed and submitted as a chapter to a book called The Pastor's Toolbox. And this is a a resource that Leadership Roundtable gives to new pastors. So my section was on fundraising. And uh, the editor of that 
whole book, read my chapter and came to me out of the blue and said, we would like you to sign a book contract with us. You can write about any subject to any audience, just please sign with us. And Kathy, I felt like my childhood dream was coming true and out of the sky drops this book contract. So I imagined a an international champagne book tour for about a year. And finally, my teenage kids were like, mom, you can't just skip to the champagne book tour. You have to sit down and write the book. <laughs> and so I, I, I began thinking of it as a luxury, like a self-indulgent luxury and who has time to write. But a, a, a religious sister of mercy living in California wrote to me and said, I've just pre-ordered a hundred copies of your book. And the minute she said that, it became not a self-indulgent luxury on my part, but a major responsibility to honor her, her financial investment. And then I just poured myself into the book and thought, well, they've said I can write about anything, but what's really top of mind, passionate for me is explaining fundraising as a ministry, complete with all kinds of spiritual disciplines that can add and enhance it. That's a fantastic story. And I like how, how you skip to the, to the good part, ignoring all the hard work in between. <laughs> that, that is good. That is priceless. I think that one of the reasons why I like the book and um, has really been really on my mind lately is because it is about telling your own story and asking other people to share in your mission, in your passion. And I think that's great. And I worry because in Catholic schools right now, it seems like everybody wants to define us and they want to define us by our enrollment. That's, that's the only measure of success that seems to count. And, and that worries me a lot. Can you talk about how you feel about that? And you know, you, and feel free to tell me, well, that's the only thing that kind of matters because I, I can take that. But I'm just thinking that we're not telling our story well enough if that's the only way people want to define us. It's absolutely wonderful that you picked up on storytelling. The most important thing a successful leader or fundraiser can do is to tell their story and tell it extremely well. And if you are in the space of Catholic schools, if you're a principal, a teacher, a superintendent, you have so many wonderful stories to tell. I mean, every child has a story that, that can be illuminated. The, the impact of Catholic education on an individual child and a family and a community and the whole fabric of life in the United States is a deeply compelling story. So um, people often say to me, Carrie, what should I look for when I am doing a search for a fundraiser? And I say there are three things that are essential. The very first thing is that person's ability to speak and write well, which is all about, all in the service of telling the story. Secondly, someone who shows initiative, who can seize initiative, who doesn't wait to be told what to do next. And third, um, a passion for the ministry itself. 
it should just bubble up inside them. Um, and that combination lends itself perfectly to being in relationship to prospective donors. And everybody has a stake in a vibrant, healthy, robust, inspiring Catholic educational system. So in a sense, everyone is your constituent constituency and your prospective donor. I, I, I think that's right. And, and I like those three things, especially about being passionate about it. You know, you can go a long ways just being passionate and sharing the love you have for something with, with others. So I think that's very true. Something else that you ha um, have written that I think is really important, and it's, it's how you wrote it as much as anything, is you talk about generosity. But throughout your book, you paint a picture. And I think that the imagery that you create throughout your book is, is really helpful. And again, it's something I think Catholic school leaders, we need, we need to stop and take a moment and think about the imagery we're painting or the imagery we are using to convey our story, to convey our message. So are you just that kind of creative person that you see images, you can see things clearly in your mind about how they might look? Um, is that why you're able to do that so well? And do you think that I'm wrong or right that, you know, it's important to the storytelling aspect of our work? Well, I, I can remember starting out being charged with leading this capital campaign for St. Thomas More at Yale and being just overwhelmed with dread and trepidation and fear like it didn't matter how much the goal was. It could have been a $15,000 goal. And I was just panicked. I Which had just the way most Catholic school principals feel about it, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, and I just, I had no training in it. I, I, you know, I was really, really scared of it. But one time I had a dream and in the dream, I saw the center we would eventually build. And it was far larger than the footprint that we were, were dealing with in real life. It was this beautiful building suffused with light and activity. And in my dream, I was walking down the street and I looked at it and light was just pouring out of it. And I could see all of this vitality in it and kind of joy and purpose. And, you know, I woke up and Kathy, lo and behold, some 10 years later, we were given the property next to our chapel, which is where this big building with lots of glass and, and light and vitality ended up being built. So I think some things need to be believed before they can be seen. And this is the space of faith. People of faith are confident in the future. We have everything at our disposal as people of faith who are charged with bringing about life in abundance for others. We've got the model in Christ who came that they may have life and have it in abundance. And we can emulate that but in our work, and if it's if our work is to bring uh, 
a vibrant Catholic education experience to children. We can do that. We can do it well. We can insist on and imagine what that looks like in its full flourishing and work toward that image. And I, th I think that's what, you know, the, the start of the school year, you know, the numbers were not good. You know, we had the largest drop in Catholic school enrollment in, since we've been keeping the numbers. But the good news is since then, enrollment has gone back up. And for next year, 40% of our schools are recording that they have wait lists for next year, right now in May. And wow. that is all great news. So how would you suggest that we take this good news and, and tell the story. And because I feel like we need to do it on a national level, but Catholic school enrollment is like politics. It's all local. <laughs> it's all local. So if you were giving advice to Catholic school principals across the country, what would you tell them? How would you tell them to, to tell this story that, you know, yeah, we, we lost our some students. We really did because parents didn't know if it was going to be online and they didn't have jobs. Could they pay the tuition? All those things. Yet in the midst of this horrible, horrible pandemic where we have lost so many American lives, there is good news for Catholic schools. So how do we tell that story? I think you do what you just suggested. You, you tell your story. Only you, principal, can tell your story. And people are absolutely starving for examples of hope and mercy and inspiration. We all know how hard these 15 months have been and the individual and collective grief that we have endured, the hardships, the anxiety. People are very aware of it through their own experience. And here you have an example of someone who can share a story that despite all of that, education was provided in the most innovative, the most creative, the most tenacious ways by our Catholic school teachers. And the care and concern that accompanied the teaching, the care for the, for, for the well-being of the child and for the child's family, that extension of mercy, just checking in with the kids, that's a story that I think deserves to be told. Now, it's true that um, I'm a big advocate of telling one's own story and telling it well, but it's also important to remember that we're part of a network. When we were uh, bringing Catholic life at, on Yale's campus to full fruition. We did not work that hard just to give Yale University one more thing to boast about. We want it to raise the bar of Catholic campus ministry all over the country and all over the world. We want it to do our piece locally to show what a vibrant Catholic intellectual and spiritual center of consequence can look like. So I would say that being connected um, throughout the diocese and throughout the nation to other Catholic schools and school systems is a value. And when you find examples of inspiration in other parts of the country, know their story as well so that you can 
kind of pepper your own story with the confidence that you are following where the vibrancy is. And it helps, I think it helps all of us if we put our own local example in a context of a richer tapestry. Because we belong to that church, one holy Catholic apostolic church. So I think think that's really important. And, you know, sometimes we do forget that we're connected. We get so focused on our own thing that we we forget. So I I think that's very good advice. Um, When you talk about what you did at Yale, and, and it's not so much the money is great. I get that. But what really struck me is you really were worried about the evangelization mission of the church. You were bringing professors in to talk to students about their faith. And you were having professors come in who, you know, were of other faiths, but have a belief in, in God and many converted to Catholicism. So, and I think that's what Catholic schools do too. Um, people say, well, why do you educate so many non-Catholics? And it's like, because we're evangelizers. <laughs> you know, That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's part of what we do. And um, it's really an important part of what we do. And when reading your book, and I reread it to, to prepare for this, and new things came to me, but I thought about that because I thought, you know, what you were doing was raising money, of course, for the Catholic students, but even more importantly, to evangelize and to welcome all. So... Oh. How is how is the center at Yale doing now? It's continuing very, very well. Of course, uh, Yale University had to uh, introduce all kinds of safety protocols, as everyone did during this pandemic. And consequently, all masses had to be converted to an online format. Um, so that, of course, was a heart heartache of for everyone, but I really admired the pastoral team. They took great, they made great efforts to reach out individually to students using technology and then also meeting masked outdoors, you know, for confession and um, pastoral counseling, et cetera. and we're hoping now that in the summertime, they will be begin to be able to have masses in person again. So um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and you already talked about your children were teenagers, you know, when you wrote the bed, it's been a few years, they're, they're grown. And you talked a lot about wanting them to have a relationship with God, wanting them to know that they are loved. And I wanted to know, how's all that working out for you now? How, what? Eight, nine years later, how is it? It is, it's working out very well, fortunately. And I'm I am enormously grateful. Uh our son is studying, he's in his first year of a doctorate in English literature at Stanford University. And part of my work to expand Catholic life at Yale had an impact and an influence on Stanford's Catholic center as well. So he has just been plugged in there and that is, is going beautifully. And And the writing thing, mom. Yes. (laughs) Literature writing. I think there's a connection. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. We, we, my husband and I did not own a television when we got married, neither of us did. So we never had it until 
like for the first 10 years of our kids' lives. And reading was such a currency in our in our house. And I they both become beautiful writers and readers. But um, so praise to praise to uh, educators and reading. And what about your daughter? So she is a uh, social justice advocate. And I think that Catholic social teaching has really formed and shaped the person that she is. So I am delighted by, by the two of them and their, their generosity of spirit to others. Right. Well, in your book, you talk a lot about potential. And if you don't see potential in children, I mean, but you, I, I'm looking for my note here. Um, you, um, uh, you said that you need to act on potential. Yes. What, what does that mean to act on potential? Oh, I'm so glad that you flagged that. So I, I grew up in in the world of Catholic philanthropy, so the other side of the fundraising coin, our family has a 76 year history of serving the church at the local and to international level through the instrument of a family foundation established by our great grandparents. So we serve as volunteers um, in, a vol in a non remunerative way and immerse ourselves in the life of the church, the better to make educated philanthropic investments in the church's ministry. So uh, um, that experience from a very young age taught me this curious word stewardship. And one definition of stewardship is the proper care of all that has been entrusted to one. Now, I think if if we as, as humans just did that much, we would be doing pretty well, you know, but I, I came to appreciate both through philanthropy and through fundraising that for the person of faith, for the Christian, for the Catholic, stewardship is not just the proper care of what has been entrusted to one, but also the recognition of and proper care of the potential at hand. Think about all of the innovative, creative, life-giving experiments that were acted upon by visionary leaders. That is potential. And bringing potential to fruition, particularly in the context of our faith, where it is benefiting others, where it is, it is bringing something beneficial to life, I think we're called as Christian stewards to seek out, recognize, and act on potential. Too often we say, oh, wait, I'm just too busy. I've got all of these responsibilities. I can't do another thing. And we ignore that potential or we note it expecting somebody else to act on it. And there's always, always opportunity to act on potential. I think the, I think the Catholic parochial school education system across the country is poised right now. There's so much potential and acting on that is being a good steward. 
I, I would agree. And I love that definition. I'm going to steal that just so you know. I'm telling, good. <laughs> telling you in advance, but it's good. So, um, you know, your book is titled Imagining Abundance, and there is great imagery of abundance. I love that you use stone soup as a first grade teacher. We made stone <laughs> soup every single year. And, and by the way, kids do get it because you said sometimes people overlook them. Kids get that. And one thing that they always got, and I'm not sure this is the intended thing, but Every single year I did stone soup and I taught first graders for seven years, every single year they would say, if we don't all bring something, it doesn't work as well. Oh, somebody always got that. Wonderful. And, um, you know, and they would talk about that. And then we would list all the things you could bring vegetables, but you could also bring a kind heart. You could also bring the spoon to stir. You know, they we'd end up with 55 things you could bring to this this recipe. (laughs) So there was abundance. There really was abundance. So in um, the Catholic school world right now, we know we have limited resources. We don't have all the money we need and, and things like that. Yet there is plenty of abundance. And um, I, I wish, would hope that you could address that right now. How do we find abundance in our world when there is a principal somewhere wondering right now how they're going to meet payroll or pay the light bill? I promise you that principal is out there because I know these Catholic school principals and they're, you know, even when things are looking up, there is still not always all the cash on hand which is a different story. But again, if you're thinking, they're thinking there is not abundance, I can't pay my light bill or whatever it is. So how do you address that? Well, so let me tell tell a, a story. Uh, it's easy at Are this- Are you sure you're not Irish, all the stories here? <laughs> I'm probably a tiny bit Irish. <laughs> uh, I So when, when we began at- Yale to do this work together. Everybody thinks Yale, rich, lots of wealthy alumni. Yes, they don't think there's a lack of abundance there. Yeah, but let me be clear that when we started, we were in debt with a crumbling facility. We were at Yale, not of Yale, so independently um, incorporated. And uh, the board had delete, permanently deleted 80% of the mailing list. We were operating not just at zero, at a negative. And when we looked at the trends, we saw that every year the board had reduced the operating budget, let staff go, cut programs. The response uh, to fiscal distress was shrink, reduce, cut back. And when they, when they were thinking of an audit of their assets, they thought only in terms of money. So we came in and said, this is the wrong trend entirely. We, should, we have to reverse this, like literally turning an ocean liner around. It takes a lot of determination and time and effort. But when we did an assessment and audit of our resources, we expanded our imagination. We didn't just look for dollars. We knew the end of that story. It was going to be depressing and, and you know negative. But we thought, what other assets do we have at our disposal? Let's expand our imagination. And that is what led us to realize we had overlooked 
our most valuable asset, which in that case was Catholic faculty at Yale. We identified 88 members of the faculty who were Catholic from every graduate school and department. We knew in many cases, these great professors were being flown all over the world and put up in hotels and given handsome honoraria to talk about their research and their scholarship. Here they were in our neighborhood, in our university, and we had never reached out and invited them to be part of the ministry. So that's how life as a scholar and a believer came about. We, one after another, invited every one of those 88 faculty members to talk not about their scholarship, but their personal life of faith. We didn't have to put them up in a hotel. We didn't have to fly them across the country or world. And they were exposed to, to our vision of what we were building. And in many cases began bringing their families to mass to be part of this community. Well, here's the consequence. First of all, it cost nothing except the price of a spaghetti dinner, which we served to students after the, the 5 p.m. Sunday mass as we're introducing the, the faculty member. Students- it's or spaghetti. <laughs> right. Students loved it. They knew of these professors as their intellectual heroes and heroines. But now these professors were actually nervous talking about such an intimate matter as their personal life of faith and how their faith had informed their scholarship and um, informed their, their vocation to teach, uh, consoled them in times of great personal tragedy, et cetera. So students loved it, word of mouth spread. Soon this became such an important component of our ministry and everybody benefited and it only cost the price of a spaghetti dinner. We took that story, Father Bob and I took the story of this program and peppered it with specific stories from professors as they were talking about their faith. And we took it on the road and began every donor meeting by referencing this as an example of being a good steward with the assets at our disposal. Alumni loved it. They started to invest in us for our next innovative, creative expression of ministry. And that showed us more than anything that money follows mission. That is a fantastic story. And I think it's a reminder for all of us, those professors were right in front of you. Right. They were, they were not a hidden resource. They were just, they were there, but we hadn't thought to use that resource in that way. And I think that's what it is in Catholic education. I think everybody needs to stop, take a moment, look around you. What are the resources that you have that you haven't engaged yet that might help with this? I, I think that's important. And the other thing is, Carrie, I worry a lot about Catholic education because I worry that we're not necessarily thinking of Catholic education as something to be invested in. We're not really investing in ourselves. And I, my colleagues at NCA will tell you, I say that all the time. We have to invest in ourselves. You know, we we have to. It's really important. I am a farmer's daughter. I think about we invest in the land every year before we plant it. You know, we put money into it. 
we do fertilizer, we cultivate it, we, we do things to invest in the land. And I think that schools, we need to think about investing in ourselves right now. This is a good moment to tell your story, to look for your resources and then invest. Amen. And one of the best ways you can invest in yourself is to surround yourself with people who ennoble your spirit. And I was just on the phone yesterday or on Zoom yesterday with Jill Kafka, um, who does a lot of innovative work in with Catholic schools in New York City and now in Cleveland. And she was the more she spoke about her work, she was just on fire with passion for it. And uh, in the conversation, we realized that it, it is really important to, to identify other people who are doing innovative work in, in the Catholic school space so that you can form a, a, an informal network or friendship uh, to be mutually inspired by one another. And there really is strength in unity. And there are thousands and thousands of important life-giving stories to offer a world that is weary and hungry for such examples of hope and joy. And what could be more hopeful than forming a young child to uh, exercise his or her full complement of gifts and abilities in the context of what it means to be a Christian disciple. It, it, it's, there's nothing better. You know, it's, it's why I'm here and it, I'm, I'm, there's just nothing better. So I thank you, Carrie, for being our guest today. I really appreciate it. Um, if you um, want, you can go buy Carrie's book on Amazon or at your local, local, local bookstore. That's even better. <laughs> for um, And it's called Imagining Abundance. And thank you for helping us to remember that there is abundance all around us. God has provided. And sometimes it's like a Yale professor standing right in front of us. We just have to figure out how to use the abundance that God provides to, to make the world better. And I, I think that you are helping us to do that. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been such a joy to be on your show and God bless all of the Catholic educators across this country. We are in your debt. That's right. They, and they have rocked it this year. They have been outstanding. So we are grateful. So, so thank you for that. And you can join us next time on NCA podcast. Thank you. 